Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Take your Bibles tonight with me, if you would please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. What a joy it is to be here tonight. I clapped my hands and sang glory, glory to the Son of God. The reason that we are involved in world evangelism, the reason that we're involved in the Great Commission, is for one primary reason, and that is because He is worthy. And we're to get and give Him glory all around this world. There are people, 3.2 billion, anywhere from 2.8 to 3.2 billion people, according to Ethnologue and Project uh, Joshua Project, that have never, ever heard the name Jesus. In fact, is they've never seen one word of the Bible that you're holding in front of you tonight, if you have a copy of God's Word. I have a track here tonight that is called the Unreached People Group's Gospel Track. It's an interesting track. It's like their Bible. You open it, and there's nothing in it. It's because their language has never been translated into the Bible, the Word of God. You and I are fortunate to have a Bible tonight. Brother Tomlinson should have explained to you and defined for you very adequately what that 1040 window is tonight. You know in your minds that, thank God, there's a heaven that you're looking forward to. There's a Jesus that you know all about. There's a gospel that you've heard. But I want you to be reminded that of 7.3 billion people in our world tonight on this planet, we're responsible to make sure that they hear the name Jesus. Oswald J. Smith said, why should anybody hear the gospel twice when there are those that have never heard the gospel once? We talk a lot about the second coming of Christ, but there's 3.2 billion people who have never heard of the first coming of Jesus Christ, let alone of the second coming of Christ. Your Bibles are open tonight to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you were to ask me to choose aside from the five times that the Great Commission is given to us in the New Testament, five different times Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. But if you were to ask me to choose from the New Testament a passage of Scripture that solidifies what the Great Commission is all about, why we have a conference like this. And thank you, Pastor Choi, for having a vision for a missions conference. I've been saved almost 65 years. And I've gone as a preacher's kid, and I've gone as a pastor to conferences all across America. And I can tell you that in very few of them, probably less than one hand, have I ever attended a conference that has a session on world evangelism. Bus ministry, Spanish ministry, soul winning, how to build a church, how to build a Sunday school. But I've never been to more than five conferences ever that I can think of that has had a separate emphasis on what we're doing tonight. And you have set as your theme of the Biblical Independent Baptist Conference, Reaching the Unreached. Reaching the Unreached. And I'm excited to be just a small part tonight of that conference. I would choose maybe Romans chapter 14 as as one of those passages in the New Testament where Paul says, I don't want to build on another man's foundation." I want to go someplace where the gospel's never been. That was the heart and the thrust and the energy of the Apostle Paul. We need a revival of that. And I want to try to make mention of that a little bit. But the other passage that I would choose is tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Our soloist just sang about meeting Timothy in heaven. Paul was the mentor of Timothy as a young pastor. And he was writing First and Second Timothy to help him as a pastor, to pastor that local church that he was overseeing, that he was shepherding. And I'm glad that Paul inserted something of emphasis that we miss today 
of the importance of world evangelism, the importance of the Great Commission. And so in the first eight verses, or seven, seven verses, eight verses, of 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read these words, Paul speaking to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for how many people, folks? All men. For kings, for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Folks, you remember just watching what we just saw in the video just a moment ago? Look at those verses and those words. And they're not living a quiet Christian life. Those that are living in Iraq, Syria, Sudan, Libya, Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and a lot of the other stand countries. You can't say and describe their lives as Christians as being peaceable, as being uh, an opportunity to live their Christian life openly and not underground and and honesty, open honesty, they have to be undercover. God says something about that here. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles. Now the word for Gentiles is heathen, people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith and verity. Would you pray with me? Lord, tonight I have an awesome and incredible and and amazing opportunity. And I've already prayed, oh God, that you'd use me tonight to be a blessing to the people that you brought into this auditorium. Thank you, Lord, I'm honored for pastors that have come all the way from Korea to be here in this conference. Some that have gone on back to Mexico and and other pastors that are here tonight. Lord, may they have the ear of the Holy Spirit of God tonight, for the Scripture says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And Lord, for all of us tonight, staff members, leaders of the churches, members, just laymen and laywomen, God, as believers tonight, we are all commissioned to accomplish the great commission in our generation. All of us have a part. Would you anoint my lips and anoint my words tonight to be a messenger of your word in truth and verity? God, I pray that you would just, as the preacher prayed already earlier tonight, Lord, may this be a Bethel tonight, the house of God. May we be able to say with Jacob, certainly the Lord was in this place. Lord forbid that we should say, and I knew it not. Help us to know your presence tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I only want to thank Brother Choi for the honor and excitement of being here for this, this conference tonight. I want to say to us this evening, especially to you preachers that are here this evening, a church that is not a missionary-minded church, by that definition, is really not a church. Oswald J. Smith, the pastor that is now in heaven, who pastored the great Toronto church and had a missions church for sure, brought in in the early late 40s and the early 50s, 
over a million dollars, Toronto, Canada, over a million dollars every year, faith promise, for world evangelism. He had over the backdrop of his auditorium there, of those people in Canada, he had this very saying, missions is the mission of the church. Missions is the mission of the church. Church, could I say to you tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you're a member here at, at the Bible Baptist Church in Gardena or another church, the reason that your church has an edifice, a facility, the reason our churches exist for no other reason than to accomplish the Great Commission. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every single creature. And you and I are not responsible for the previous generations because that's not the generation that we were alive. And, and that generation, whether it was successful or failed in the Great Commission, to reach their generation will face God in, in that judgment, but we will be responsible for this generation. There's urgency in what this conference embodies. And we're not going to be responsible if the Lord tarries for the next generation. But we are responsible for this generation. A church, by definition, is a missionary church. I agree with Dr. Tom Malone, who is now with the Lord, pastored uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Pontiac, Michigan, for many years. Uh, uh, just a, a, a great preacher, a man of God. But he said in the later days of his ministry, just before the Lord took him to heaven, he said, I don't know why, but my eyes were open to the fact that every church ought to have a missions conference, ought to be a mission-hearted, not just to have a missions program. And we have a lot of churches today that have mission programs. But that's not the same as having a missionary mind and a missionary heart in the church. I find a lot of churches today that have a list of missionaries that they support. And they have boards that are listed with some missionary letters and those kinds of things. But I can go to those churches and I can never hear even the mention of the morning service, the evening service, or a Wednesday night service, the name of one of their missionaries, and bringing the attention to the people of what the needs are of those missionaries. It's like the missions conference is something like Christmas decor, Tom uh, Malone said. We kind of bring it out for the Christmas season and then we take and put them away, the flags and all the decor, and think about it again, won't think about it again until the next year. So a mission conference, Tom Malone said, ought to be something if missions is the mission of the church. If it's really the defining essence of why we exist and why we come together, then it ought to be something that is mentioned 52 weeks out of the year, 365 days of the year. It ought to be something that is an integral part of every one of our services. Missions is the mission of the church. It's not the size of the church that can make an impact globally. And I believe every church, no matter what size it is, can and should be making a difference globally, making an impact upon our world. Not the size of the church. It's the size of the heart of the church. I thank God tonight that I can think of many churches across America that I've had the privilege of being in. There's small churches in men's minds but they are making an impact on this world as far as world evangelism and helping to accomplish the Great Commission. It's exciting, and it is possible for any church to make an impact upon the world. And we need to return, I believe, tonight to believing that we are going to bring closure to the Great Commission in our generation. In our generation. Again, we're not responsible for the previous generation. We're not responsible for the generation to come. But if the Lord tarries, we are responsible for this generation. And if I say to you tonight, we have 3.2 billion people that are living and breathing right now, just as we are, that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, then we have a roll up, we have a job to do to roll up our sleeves and get busy. Because many of those people will not live to be a ripe old age of 80 or 90 years of age. 
Many of those people and most of those people live in a 1040 window where the age span and expect life expectancy is something like 40 years of age, 50 years of age. And they're going to slip into eternity without ever hearing the name Jesus Christ. 70,000 souls today will slip into eternity who live in the 1040 window that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. That ought to stagger our minds tonight. That ought to cause us to have some kind of sobriety in our thinking when we realize that that is our generation that we are responsible to and there's a Lord in heaven that deserves to get the glory. Because it's more than singing a song that I clapped my hands and sang glory. It's a wonderful song and I love that song. But friends, if we only be singing that kind of song, if we get to glory and we're able to say like the Apostle Paul, My hands are clean from the blood of all men. We have preached the gospel, and may we be able to say that in our 21st century. We have reached 7.3 billion people in our generation. It's a wonderful thing to think that. We need to get returning, I believe, back to missions conferences. And I'm speaking, I realize tonight, to several of your pastors. I appeal to you, keep missions before your people. Missions conferences are vital and important. Not because uh, the Bible says we have to have them, but it helps us to remind ourselves of keeping the main thing the main thing. Bringing missionaries into our people and challenging them as to what God has called them to do. Getting the vision of the Great Commission. Getting a strategy. Getting a strategy. How are we going to reach these 3.2 people? A billion people. What are we not doing that we need to be doing? And I don't have all the answers tonight, but there's a God in heaven that does. And that is what I'm reminding us tonight, to get that vision, to get back making the main thing the main thing and identifying those that we are not reaching and have never heard. Who are they? Where are they? Who are those people groups? Are we thinking about them? Do we know who they are? And we cannot do it alone. I am convinced tonight that America cannot reach the world and accomplish the Great Commission in and of ourselves. It is going to be through nationals who get uh, uh, aroused in their own hearts around the world, whether it be the Philippine Islands, whether it be uh, in in Africa, where it be in any content. We need nationals who know their languages and in in this generation go and reach their people. Raising up nationals who already know the language, who do not have to go on deputation, who can already go, and they know their culture, and can go right to work in planting churches and preaching the gospel. Not to stop our missionary efforts and missionary zeals, but to realize that we cannot do it alone. We need to partner with those that are around this world. And adopting churches, adopting people groups... We have 7,000 independent fundamental Baptist churches in America alone, let alone in Korea, in addition to many other countries of our world. 7,000, and we have 7,000 people groups that have yet to have the message of the gospel given to them in their own culture, in their own language. 7,000. If we could have one church like this church, I'll take one, and you adopt that people group, And you pray that God will raise up a national or you'll raise up a missionary that will go to that people and to give them the gospel. My friend, that will be the beginnings of light to that. And that will make 6,999. And one less. And we have many more than that. But I want you to be here tonight and say, why are we doing this? Why is Pastor Choi put this on a church calendar last year and this year, and I'm glad you did, and I hope you keep doing it, preacher. Don't get discouraged. We desperately need what you're doing. Because somebody needs to wave the red flag to our churches and say, let's awaken to what God has given us to do. God would never command us to go into all the world and preach the gospel without the grace to accomplish the very purpose for which he sent us. No generation has been able to throw up their hands and say, It is impossible. Nothing is impossible to our God. There is nothing that is too hard for him. And so why do we have missions conferences? And why do we need to remind our people that missions is the mission of the church? 
It is because we are Baptists tonight, and one of the main cardinal beliefs of Baptists is that this book is the practice and the rule of of our faith. It It is the Word of God. And whatever the Bible says, we believe it. And if we're what we're doing in these next three days, if a missions conference, if missionaries coming to our churches and taking missionary offerings, if all of that is not in the Bible, then, friend, we are wasting our time. But if it's in the Bible, and I want to show you tonight from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that it is exactly in the Bible. The philosophy of world evangelism, the whole basis of what this is all about is biblical. It is a biblical independent Baptist conference on something that is in your Bible. I want to give you six doctrines. A doctrine is something that you believe. A doctrine, a biblical doctrine, is something that you believe that's in the Bible. And I'd like to think tonight that what we're doing is definitely biblical. Let me give you six doctrines very quickly tonight. If you want to write them down, I'll let you write them down. Jot them down if you would. We'll find that. I'm going to begin in verse number three. Number three, doctrine number one. I'm going to begin with verse number four, excuse me. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? Who is referring to the verse previous, God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, God our Savior, verse four, who will have all men to come uh, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is what I submit to you tonight is a universal plan of salvation. The Bible does not say there, God our Savior who will have some men to be saved and come to knowledge of truth. There's a, a wicked heresy that is spreading across America and has been going the last several years that says something like this. When Jesus died on the cross, he willed that some be saved and that others not be saved. He loves some, but he doesn't love others. In other words, tonight, if I were to say to you that 3.2 billion people have never ever heard the gospel and they're going to die and go into a crisis eternity and burn in an eternal hell, if I were to tell you tonight, those people God doesn't love. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he didn't love them. But he loved you because somebody told you the gospel and somebody carried out the great commission to you because you heard that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he was buried and that he rose again the third day and he loves you. But that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that God, our Savior, will have all, not some, all men to be saved. Now you say tonight, is everybody going to be saved? No, not everybody's going to be saved. But everybody ought to come to the knowledge of the truth. Everybody ought to hear the gospel. My neighbors ought to hear the gospel. Your neighbors ought to hear the gospel. People around Gardena ought to be able to say, I heard the gospel. People over on the other side of the planet, in Papua New Guinea or wherever it may be, ought to be able to say, I came to a knowledge of the truth. Whether I received it or rejected it, I came to know somebody told me about Jesus. Somebody told me the the very truth of the gospel. The reason tonight we have a belief in the Great Commission, the reason tonight we believe in missions, the reason we believe tonight that we need to go into all the world and preach the gospel is, number one, there is a universal plan of salvation. Not one for America, not another one for Korea, not another one for Africa. It is the same gospel around the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life let me show you a second doctrine here in the next verse verse number number five for there is one god and one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus i told you the universal plan of salvation let me submit this one to you the unscriptural philosophy of pluralism. Young people here tonight should pay close attention because you are living and being brought up in a culture that is foreign, foreign to me who grew up in the 50s in the United States of America. We used to have what we called a Christian nation in America. Now it's a heathen nation. 
Or we've adopted a new theology in America today that says, wait a minute, preacher, do you know that they're not all Baptists in America? They're not all Christians. They're not all Methodists or Lutherans or typically what we call Christians. Uh, uh, We have many different kinds of religions in America today. We're we're a a religious melting pot. Uh, You need to realize, preacher, that uh, of that 7.3 billion people, one out of every four is a Muslim. Are you telling me tonight that those Muslims who do not believe your gospel are going, to he- are going to hell? And I'm not a Joel Osteen tonight that is giving an interview with Larry King who said to Larry King when Larry King said, uh, Joel, your dad was a missionary to India and your dad preached the gospel. Are you going to tell me that your father believed that if they didn't hear the gospel that all those Hindus in India, the billions of people there are going to go to hell? And I'm not going to tell you like Joel Olstein tonight who got that little silly grin on his face as he looked at Larry King and said, Larry, I'm not sure, but God will figure it out. I don't believe that tonight. And if that's the leader of evangelicalism, let it be the leader of evangelicalism, my friend. That is not the Bible. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one way to heaven, not many ways to heaven. And so it doesn't matter tonight if you're a Buddhist. It doesn't matter tonight if you're a Muslim. It doesn't matter tonight if you're adopted Shintoism. It doesn't matter tonight if you're a Mormon or a JW. It, I can tell you tonight the Bible says, and Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, tonight, ladies and gentlemen, in this church, I'm telling you, we have a biblical doctrine, not only of a universal plan of salvation, but we have tonight to reject the unscriptural philosophy of pluralism. Number three. The Bible says in verse number five, or verse number six, who Previous verse, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Thank God tonight the price has been paid for your salvation. Jesus paid it all. You tell me, don't you know there's a person over in the Philippine Islands last week in Santa Samana, a very holy week amongst Catholics in the Philippines, where a man is chosen to be crucified, physically crucified, They don't kill him, but he believes that there's some kind of forgiveness of sin and something that God will offer mercy to him if he becomes the representative of his barrio, his little village, and becomes crucified. Uh, You mean to tell me all of those Mexicans down in Mexico uh, going on their knees for miles to the Virgin Guadalupe to walk up those stairs with bloodied knees after all of that, believing that somehow that that is going to wash away their sin... What can wash away my sin? The Bible says nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank God the price has been paid. There's not a baptism that you can do. There's not a good work that you can do. There's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. It's amazing grace, my friend. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank God tonight we can say that the ultimate price of our sin has been paid. But I want you to notice something else here in verse number 6. The Bible says, watch this, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified. To be testified. A a testament is something where you tell something that you've seen. Or you, you've witnessed, you, you've heard something, you know something, you testify to that. It's talking about salvation, the universal plan of salvation. It rejects the unscriptural philosophy of, of pluralism that there are many gods or many ways to heaven. And it says the ultimate price of our salvation has been paid in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that needs to be testified. That needs to be witnessed. That's our job, folks. John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The truth of the matter is tonight, we don't have missionaries coming in here and saying, Oh, you're a missionary. Your job is to go tell somebody about Jesus. 
The truth of the matter is, if you have a heart tonight with Jesus Christ living in your heart, you are a missionary. Every single one of us are missionaries. And we can have a sign over our doors tonight as we go out, you're going into a mission field, and anyone who does not have Christ in their heart is a mission field. We're all missionaries. They're not just some of us that are to be witnesses. They're not just some of us that are to testify. All of us have a responsibility to be telling somebody, whether it's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the uttermost part of the earth. And so God has given to us the the job of testifying. But what does the rest of that verse say? To be testified, what's the remainder of that? In due time. In due time. I have a neighbor whose name, name was Elliot. Elliot was a Jew. Married to his wife, Phyllis, both went to, they both went faithfully every Saturday, Sabbath, went to the synagogue. Elliot came down with the beginnings of dementia. We live in an adult community. I heard that he was not doing well, went over to the rest home, and I said, I need to tell him. I need to talk to him about Christ. I got down on a chair with his wife, Phyllis, watching on, and his adult son looking on, and I said, Elliot, you go to Sabbath every, every Saturday, and you're a Jew. But let me ask you a very important question that's more important than anything I can think of. If you died today, Elliot, would you be 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? Elliot, as a Jew, said, I don't even believe in God. I don't believe in life after death. My body's going to become fertilizer for some plants after I die. Elliot died. But thank God... I have in my own conscience, in my own mind, the fact that as a neighbor, I went to Elliot and testified to him of the gospel of Jesus Christ in due time. You have people that you're thinking of. That you have people that are relatives, family members that are unsaved. You have co-workers that are unsaved. Every single one of you have unsaved neighbors just like I do. Let me tell you something tonight. I'm not responsible for your neighbors. I'll never even see your neighbors. No question about about that for for 99 and 9 tenths of you. I'm not responsible, but you are. And you have a responsibility to tell them in due time. In due time. Don't procrastinate. For they don't know and you don't know what a day may bring forth. Here today and gone tomorrow. And God has put you in their path. May God help us. To realize tonight that missions is a mission of the church, and it begins right here at home. And then we have a responsibility to reach those 3.2 billion people. And the Bible says they need to hear in time, because it's unacceptable for me to hear that 70,000 people perish today without hearing the name of Jesus Christ. That's our generation. And the Bible says that's why we believe in missions. But let me show you something else that we need to see here. Number seven, number six, number five. Not only untold people, but unconditional. The unconditional personal responsibility. Look at this. Verse number seven. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher. One year ago, one, you were up here on this platform and you got ordained as a preacher. Brother Choi, you've been ordained as a preacher. Many of you men, like myself, were ordained as a preacher. You answered some questions. You told them what you believed. And some people, and according to the authority of the church, put their hands upon you and said, we're ordaining you to the gospel ministry. Ordaining an order of ministry. You know what Paul is saying there? He says, whereunto everything that I've just told you about world evangelism, that there's a universal plan of salvation, that there's an unscriptural philosophy, of this pluralism, that there's many ways to heaven. That Jesus Christ has paid the the ultimate price of our salvation. Jesus paid it all. That that needs to be identified. That needs to be identified and testified to people in due time. And Paul says, it's not a gospel blimp. We're not sending up some gospel blimp full of Spanish tracks down to Mexico. That's not God's plan. God's plan is me. God's plan is you. God's plan is you, you, you. Every single one of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are God's ordained preacher. You say, well, I'm a woman. I, don't, I believe in women preachers. I'm not talking about women preachers. I'm talking about the, the, the general command that Jesus gave in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach 
the gospel. That wasn't just to men. Every single one of us are to proclaim. That word proclaim or to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ is to every man, woman, boy, and girl who knows and names the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says I'm ordained a preacher, an apostle. We don't have apostles today, but the literal meaning of the word apostle is a sent one. A sent one. The next word there is I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. A verity, that means truth. I give the truth in faith and verity to heathen people that need to hear the gospel. The personal responsibility. Well, see, preacher, you gave us doctrine number one that is found there in verse number four is the universal plan of salvation. You gave us number two that found in verse number five that speaks there about the un- a biblical philosophy of pluralism. You, you gave us the fact that there's only one way to salvation, and that is the man Christ Jesus, one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And you told us that he needs to be testified in due time. We believe that. And we believe that we are ordained as, a, as the people of God to carry out that great commission of world evangelism. But you say, preacher, that's only five doctrines. Where's the sixth one? Verses 1, 2, and 3. And I want to tell you tonight the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. Look at verse number 1. I exhort you, therefore, what's the next three words? First of all. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Ready? First of all. That sounds to me like a priority. It it reminds me of Matthew 6.33 that says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You mean to tell me, preacher, that, that this is as important, if not more important, than the universal plan of salvation? Yes, that's important. You mean to tell me that verses 1, 2, and 3 are exceeding and more important priority that Paul is teaching Timothy? as a pastor about world evangelism, than the fact that the unscriptural philosophy of pluralism, that there are not many ways to heaven? That's right. You say, are you meaning to tell me that this subject of verses 1, 2, and 3 is of utmost priority? Absolutely. That's what I'm telling you. It's what the Bible says. I exhort you, therefore, first of all. And what's the subject? What is the subject? Somebody help me. What is it? Prayer. Prayer. The priority of prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard the name Andrew Murray or not. I have several books in my library by Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray lived back in the 1900s. He was a preacher from South Africa. He was a universal preacher. He not only preached and pastored in South Africa, but he made his way up the United States of America. And he was in a meeting of preachers in a conference in New York City back in the 1900s when there was one billion people, a population of one billion people, 1900s. Today, 7.3 billion people. Andrew Murray believed that it was possible for his generation to reach one billion people. But this is what he said, and I have it in quotations here. I'll just read it to you. He said these words, The key to missionary problem today, that was in the 1900s, is the lack of prayer for missions. I want to ask you a question tonight, folks. Is prayer really a priority for us? Wait a minute. In regards to world evangelism. Andrew Murray said, the key to the missionary problem is the lack of prayer for missions. Look at verse 1 again. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I'm submitting to you that when it comes to world evangelism, I say this to missions conferences all the time. 
no missions conference is even going to get to first base without prayer. Some of you know the name Dr. John Rice. John Rice said these words, all failures are prayer failures. We haven't done anything until we've begun to pray. Prayer is dependence upon God. When I pray, I am saying, God, I need your help. We just passed Easter last week. The resurrection. It's fresh on our minds. Jesus Christ rises from the dead. And then for 40 days, he's seen among men, different witnesses, 1 Corinthians 15. And then he comes to the He comes to the ascension. And there are ten days that exist in that little space between then and Pentecost. Is that right? And Jesus said to them, to the 120 in the upper room, what were they doing? Praying. They were praying. Men and women were praying in the upper room. Do you know what they were praying? The Bible says they were praying because Jesus had given them the Great Commission. And Peter just denied his Lord. In fact, as all the disciples, the Bible says, fled, they were fearing for their lives that they too were going to be crucified, just like their Savior. And yet Jesus had told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Some of you Bible scholars, I dare you to find, I challenge you to find me one witness in the Bible. One occasion where they were witnessing between the Ascension and Pentecost. I dare you to find me anything in the Bible in those ten days of any record of anybody being saved. We talk about Pentecost, but let me tell you something, folks. There is a cost to Pentecost. Lord, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power, the floodgates of victory on me flow open wide. Pentecostal power? Those folks did not have that power, but they were on their faces praying. I exhort you, therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men. The priority of prayer. Folks, without prayer and the cost of prayer, there is no Pentecost. But I will tell you, after they prayed, that same person that denied Jesus three times preached a message and 3,000 people got saved. That same group of people, it was said of them that they turned the world upside down. Who? Men and women, 120 of them, turned their generation upside down. And my submission to you and to people that will give me a hearing is we need to get back to the priority of prayer. For world evangelism. Let's do a trial right here. This is not the invitation. But just bow your heads. You're in church. Nobody's looking around. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you can say this truthfully. If you have prayed for one of your supporting missionaries from your local church by name today, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. You may lower your hands. You may look this way. I'm not shocked, Pastor Choi. We're in a missions conference of reaching the lost. The emphasis is reaching unreached. Look this way. Four hands. Four hands were raised today. You say, preacher, you must be shocked. I'm not shocked. I hold missions conferences all across this country and around the world. And I have asked that question every time I preach sometime during a conference. And I have never, in churches of over a thousand, 
and in small churches, I've never found in any given church any more than 25 people. That was the most, and the preacher just preached on and given, had given them an assignment of pr- praying for missionaries, and they had 25 hands raised. Ten is usually the average that I find in any given con- congregation. Ten. Ten. And yet we say all failures are prayer failures. And we say, we have not because we ask not. And this is a whole context of world evangelism. And I know there's some preachers, and I've preached it as well on Memorial Days and, and National Days, pray for your president and pray for your congressman and pray for all those. But that's not the kind. Con- and I think you ought to do that. And if you know the names of them, wonderful. But I don't think God expects any of us to know the names of every king in this world. I can barely struggle over that guy in North Korea. King, king Kim Jun or whatever his name is. Do you know the name of the Khomeini in, in Iraq? He's a king. Do you know, the, do you know who's heading, heading up Af- Afghanistan? Be honest, you don't. And I don't think God in heaven expects you to know it either, but he said to pray for all kings. He said to pray for world evangelism. Because we're not going to get to first base as this church or this conference or any conference across America until I believe we're settling on what the Bible says is biblical, and that is the doctrine of prayer. Now, are you ready for the message? The first word in the priority of prayer is supplications. I'll be quick about this. I will not keep you long. The word supplications there, some of you preachers that are Greek scholars can bear this one out. It's the word deasis. Deasis, which means to state the issues. You see, the Holy Spirit of God doesn't mince words and use extra words. If he just wanted to use the word prayer, he would have put the word prayer. But there are many kinds of prayers, and supplication is a part of prayer. Prayer is a part of prayer. Uh, intercessions is a type of prayer. And uh, thanksgivings is a type of prayer. And all of those ought to be included in prayer. But this is the context of world evangelization. And it says deasis. State the issues. All right? What kind of issues could we state to God? Number one is, there's not any one person in this building, no matter who you are, that has all the answers to what we're facing in world evangelization. None of us have the answer. I can state to you statistics of 3.2 billion people, but that's not going to solve the problem. And there's a God in heaven that knows exactly, I'm not sure there's 3.2 billion people. I don't know how many there are but I know there's a whole lot that have never heard the gospel one time. Deasis is getting down on our knees about world evangelization and making it a priority and saying, Dear God, there are 3.2 billion possibilities of souls of men, women, children, teenagers that have never heard the gospel. They don't have one word of your Bible. They don't have, have never heard one sermon of how to be saved. Dear God, that's stating an issue, that's supplication. Supplication is saying that there's 1.2 billion people, according to the Southern Baptist Mission Society, 1.2 billion of those 3.2 billion that are not only unreached, listen to this, they are unengaged. And there's a difference between being unreached people group and being unengaged people group. An unreached people group is maybe somebody, but somebody has a plan. I go around and try to challenge churches like yours to adopt a people group, maybe one in India, and take a national pastor and pay for him just like you would any church planner, and let him get, get two, three years and plant that church and go to the language he already knows, because heaven knows it takes at least $70,000 for an American missionary to raise money two, three, four years, whatever it is, to get over to the country, to learn the language, to gather his things, to get passage, to get there, Before he gets his first soul saved and baptized, there's over $300,000 that is invested in a potential missionary. It's a lot better sense to me, if if, if this is urgency, to take somebody that's already there, already knows the language, already knows the culture, and he's ready to go, and he goes reaches his people. But an unengaged people group is a people group that there's not even an inkling of a plan to reach them before they die. I don't know about you folks, but as far as me and my house, that is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. I cannot live with my conscience 
knowing that there are 1.2 billion people, that there's no plan? Deasis supplicate, dear God, there's got to be some answer. There's a God in heaven that says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God, that's your word. Deasis. That in our Bible colleges, including West Coast, including Golden State, including Hiles Anderson College, including all the ones that you and I would think of, of going to, I'm here to tell you as having been a teacher and professor up at Golden State, that there are uh, uh, 98% of our kids are going, this is a cream of the crop, they're going to our Bible college, these are the best of the best out of our churches, and less than 2% of them are thinking about going to the foreign field. Thank God that they want to be Christian principals and school teachers and secretaries and youth pastors and assistant pastors and all the rest. And I'm not against that, but I'm saying if there's a great need, where are our young people? Why are they not hearing the call to the foreign fields? Deasis, supplicate, God, do something in our Bible colleges and stir our kids and help them to hear the call of God. Deasis, deasis. Less than 1%, less than 1% of our independent fundamental Baptist church mission budgets, less than 1% are going to reach unreached peoples where our mission dollars are going to all people that are already reached. What's wrong with that? Where's our head? That's not a strategy to reach a 3.2 billion people. What's the answer? Get on our knees and supplicate. Quickly, the next word, prayer. That means just asking. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Do we believe that? If there's only four of us tonight that are mentioning the needs, hey, it was William Carey that went to India back in his day in the 1800s, and from England, he said, William, that is a gold mine down there. There are heathen that are waiting to hear the gospel. William Carey told his people back in England, I'll go down into that gold mine if you'll hold the ropes. You know what he meant by that? He said, you pray for me and you hold the ropes because I'm going over there not with a, a, a round-trip ticket. I'm going with a casket on, on ship and I'm planning to come back from, from India in that casket. That's how missionaries went in the 1800s. He said, I need your prayers. And heavens knows if, if, God, if missionaries today are depending on the prayers of God's people, no wonder they're in the mess that they're in. Because we're not praying. We talk about prayer. We sing about prayer. We give prayer requests longer than we pray ourselves. We're not praying. We're not praying. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, that means to pray on behalf of somebody. You folks by your face look like you need some good news. Because the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Could I tell you some? Do you want some good news about world evangelism tonight? Do we get excited about Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost when Peter preaches his message, Pastor Troy, and 3,000 people get saved? Have you ever said, like I've said in message, wouldn't it be wonderful, folks, if we could see that again? Let me give you some good news. China. They have a little bit more population than India, both of them, in the billions. But I tell you tonight, God is doing a marvelous work in China. Do you know tonight in China they have as many Christians in China as they do registered communists? Do you know why? Because Joshua Project and some of these ethnologue and some of these other places, you can Google it yourself, they estimate that 10 thousand Chinese every single day are receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Is that good news? Well, put a smile on your face, man. That is good news. Do you know that more Muslims have been saved in the last, I want to say, last 70 years than, than, than let, me, let me get the statistic here. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not preaching now. I'm just talking, all right? Um, give, give, give me here. Um, where are you, buddy? Thanksgiving. Oh, um, uh, since 1970, more Muslims have been saved than the previous 1,200 years. Isn't that good? Oh, I tell you. And uh, uh, there are more nationals. I get excited, you Koreans. 
You know, I drive a Hyundai, but I get, ex- <laughs> I get, I get excited about hearing that there's a missionary from Korea going down to Mexico. I get excited the Philippines. They're sending missionaries, Rick Martin's, is sending those missionaries out to Africa and so I get excited. There are more nat- You see, we used to think America seemed to be like we're the only ones that save the world. God never intended us to save the world as America. God has used us. And we have a lot to be responsible for. But God is, God is burdening the hearts of people around the world about this matter that the Great Commission is for them too. Uzbekistan. Now, you want to take a trip to Uzbekistan? Probably not, because it's against the law to read the Bible and have a Bible in your home in Uzbekistan. In fact, if you're found with a Bible in your home in Uzbekistan, which is a Muslim country, you will be fined one year's wages. You'll lose one year's wages if you're found with just a Bible in your home. We talk about pers- that's persecution too. But you know what the good news is? Let's see if I can find one. There's good news here. Hold on. Well, maybe there isn't good news. You see that? That's called a smartphone. And you know what's good about a smartphone in Uzbekistan? It's got the Bible on it. And there are people, authorities don't even know that they're reading the Bible because it's on their smartphone in their own language. That's good news. Uh, we're talking about Miramar. There's, 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 there's sparks of revival going on in Miramar. Bibles are flooding into the change of authority uh, brother, what was your name, first name again? James. Uh, James was telling me his parents are just going over to Miramar. There have been missionaries now from, from Australia up there. And, and we've had a part at, at Gethsemane of having a part of that revival. As I tell you, it's exciting to see what God is doing. I mean, there's good news. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let's thank God for what he's doing. Listen, folks, it, it's not hopeless. God is on his throne. He's just waiting here. Are you, are you, are you, can I give one more illustration? I'm done. Do you have imagination tonight with me? I want you to imagine a fire truck. A fire truck. And a fire truck that's red. A fire truck with four wheels. A fire truck with hoses and ladders. And you little girls look real smart tonight, so I'm going to ask you a question. What is a fire truck for? To put out... God! God! To put out fires... A fire truck is to put out fires. So there's a fire truck, and it's there to what? Put out? Fiero? Fiero. Okay. Put out fires, all right? Over here is a building. I want you to notice this building. It's got four stories. One, two, three, four stories. And I want you to look down in the first floor because there's smoke coming out the windows. And there are people in the windows. They're saying, help! Help! Our building's on fire. Help! What's the fire truck for? To put out fires. And so we get the fire truck. And we come to put out the fire. Now hold it. Inter- intermission. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses Unto me. Both, as we heard today, concurrently, simultaneously, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. Let's let that first floor be your Jerusalem. That's Gardena. That's Long Beach. That's your Korea. That's Seoul. Busan. Wherever you're from. That's your hometown. And that's the reason why we go soul winning. And that's the reason why we pass out tracts. And that's the reason we witness to our neighbors and our family. Because they're in the first floor. And it's on fire. And they're going to go to an eternal hell. If we don't get the fire truck. And we're supposed to be firemen. And your church is a fire truck. I don't care where you're from. Your church is a fire truck. And your fire truck, your church, is to put out fires. And it's going to all the world and preach the gospel. And there are people right here in your town. They're saying, Help! Help, and you're doing right in going door to door, going out soul winning, visitation, whatever you're doing to reach your home. Keep it up. Keep it up. But hold it. The second floor also has people on it. Those are people that live 
not in your town, but in the surrounding areas. That's all Judea. That may be your county, okay? That may be your state. That, that, that's a second floor. And they're there. And that's why you ought to plant churches in California. And that's why you ought to plant churches in New Jersey. And that's why you ought to plant churches in, in, uh, in Busan and, and southern South Korea and, and all the other. You know what I'm talking about. That's why you ought to plant churches in other places and be concerned about other places. Because the second floor, those people are saying, hey, we're on fire. Help, help. And your church is a fire truck. But they're also on the third floor. And that's America. And that's why we ought to be concerned about our country. Because I'm sad. I've lived here and I'm a born raised American. Been here all my life and I have no ethnicity issues to, to other languages. I've been here all my life. But it ain't the same place that I grew up in. It is a different world. And I put my hand over my heart about our country. I'm sad and sickened about our country. The leadership and, and the way that we've put our thumbed our nose at God and said, God, we don't need you. But nevertheless, there are people in our country, America, and people in Korea, and people in, uh, in whatever country you're from, and they are saying, hey, and the ladders are there, and they'll reach up not only the second floor, but they'll reach up to the third floor. And they're saying, help in America, help us, help us in Korea, help us, we're on fire, we're on fire. But it said, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And they're up on the fourth floor. And the sad thing to me tonight is we don't have anybody, we don't have very few people that are praying, saying, God, give us some firemen that will climb up to the fourth floor because they've never heard the name Jesus, because they've never read one word of your Bible, because they're going to perish without Christ. And they're up there on the fourth floor. Yes, be concerned about your Jerusalem. Yes, be concerned about your Judea. Yes, be concerned about Samaria. But what about the uttermost part of the earth? That's our responsibility too. And Jesus said that's just as important as the rest of them. They're going to have to live someplace forever as well. We need somebody to climb the ladders. We need ladders that go all the way up to the fourth floor. And so here's my challenge to you tonight. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. This is the invitation tonight. It's going to be a little different than what it usually is. I've got enough here for everybody. You see, I'm looking around for young people here tonight. Hold it. I'm looking at young people tonight. We have missionaries that come. They come from Philippines, Manila. They come from over in Uganda. They come from uh, Tanzania. And I can tell you, some of these countries, thank God for every last mission. And I'm not saying stop doing what we're doing. Hey, keep, keep going. But how in the world is our younger generation that we're concerned about, how are they ever going to get to this 1040 window to some of these places? They never even hear the names. They don't even know who the 10, you're just finding out who the 1040 is last night, some of you. And some of you need to just go home and say, you know what, I need to just get up and get in the geography book and go on the internet, Google or something out and find out where these places are. I'm just saying tonight, could you join me? I get people all getting people all over because I believe in prayer. I believe God answers prayer. And I got a place there. Here's the 1040 windows. There are missionaries in some of these countries. 42 of them. Listen, Avon. And Coca-Cola and Pepsi, they're in 100 and, 102 of the 192 nations of the world. NASCAR, any NASCAR fans here? NASCAR is televised worldwide on 150 out of those 192 United Nations, established nations. 150. We've got 3.2 billion people, and we've got the better cause than Avon, Walmart, Pepsi, Cola, Coca-Cola, NASCAR. We've got a better cause, the glory of God. Some of you could join me. I think all of you could if you're a Christian. Who can't pray? Who can't pray? If you're a Christian, you can pray. And you could just take the A's and pray for the A's tomorrow. Azerbaijan. Didn't bring my glasses down here. 
Algeria, Armenia. I've been there. Uh, you just pray for the haze. Next day, pray for the bees, Bahrain, Burkina Faso. Say, God sent somebody there. You think God's listening? He's waiting for us to pray. He is. And if you want to go a little further, here's a 30-day calendar. And those are people groups, most of them in India. There are 20. It's a modern Babylon of America. You think America's got problems speaking Spanish and Korean? There are 2,200 languages in India alone, people groups. It's like 2,200 nations within a nation. And most of them don't have the gospel. And you can start praying for them. God sends somebody there. You see, if our young people start hearing about that, and we start praying about that, and we start hearing their names, God's going to speak and somebody's going to listen. And I get excited when I hear somebody's going to the place I've been praying for.